funky, folkish friends. Thanks for coming. Have a seat, or don't. It's up to you, really. I'm just glad you're here. Uh, how's the week been for you, good listeners? Good? I hope it's been good. I hope you didn't almost lose your firstborn to a tiny little person with a strange name, like Pansy Mancy or Gillitrit. I also hope you didn't wind up with the nickname Sheepskanks, somehow. Uh, and additionally, I hope you all had an excellent Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for all of you who join me at my fable table each week. Today should be a good one. This story is called Old Rink Rink. Yes, that's right. For the very first and probably last time, I named the episode after the actual story we are covering. Why? Well, honestly, there's not really a funnier name than Old Rink Rink for this story. He's old. He's rink. He's rank. He's old rink rank. Now, we'll worry about old rink rank when he enters the story. But for now, let's talk about a king. As many of these stories do, this story begins with a king who has a daughter. And he's decided that, instead of following the previously set tradition of picking a husband for her, according to alliance needs with other kingdoms or clans, he needs a young man to prove himself worthy of the princess. How, you may ask? He commissions his servants to build a giant mountain out of glass, and any man who can climb it without falling will be allowed to marry the princess. I cannot express to you how ridiculously expensive this would be, okay? Actually, you know what? I'm going to try. I will try to express. If you want to skip my process and just get to the final cost, jump ahead a minute or so. But hey, this could be interesting math, even though I'm pretty sure interesting math is an oxymoron. Now, mountains range from being about 1,000 feet to almost 30,000 feet tall on Earth. If we take the average of those two sizes, we'll get 15,500 feet, which I'm going to downsize to 15,000 for simplicity's sake. Now, contrary to what most people immediately visualize when they think mountain, most mountains are not a perfect conical shape. However, our brain mountain is going to be, because I would die trying to do the math if it was not. Mount Fuji, the tallest mountain-slash-volcano in Japan, is a bit shorter than our brain mountain, coming in at approximately 13,400 feet, but it's a close enough conical mountain that I'm going to use its diameter of 25 to 30 miles in our allegorical brain mountain, and place our radius at 14 miles, or uh, 73,920 feet. Using the formula to find a volume of a cone, we come up with 583.1 cubic miles, or 85,831,100,000,000 cubic feet. So, that's a lot. Glass is normally sold based on weight, and a cubic foot of standard window glass weighs 157.94 pounds bringing the total weight of our glass brain mountain to 13 quadrillion 556 trillion 164 billion pounds, or 6 trillion 778 billion 82 million tons, uh, give or take a couple million pounds. We're going to pretend that the king lives in the 21st century and go with the USA scrap dealer national price for glass, which is 10 cents per pound. So we're looking at 1 quadrillion, 355 trillion, 616 billion, 400 million dollars in today's money. And that's assuming that the king has the kind of access to the glass that we have nowadays, which he likely did not. And again, that's just to procure the materials. We could go into details about how much it would cost to actually build the mountain, but I feel as though I've made my point. If you think you can do a better job of calculating how much it costs to build a mountain out of glass, please be my guest. Let me know what you come up with. Anyhow, the king spent the entire world's money to build this stupid mountain, and 
the entire Earth has fallen into economic ruin. But hey, at least he has a way to find a worthy son-in-law. Dadgum government. Now, there was a young man who was already in love with the princess, and the princess loved him back. So he went to the king and asked if he could marry the princess. The king, being a reasonable fella, said yes, but only if the young man could cross the glass mountain without falling down. Nice. I can imagine there was a bit of debate over the subject. After all, if the princess already loved this young man, and the young man loved the princess, why did he need to do such a stupid mountain climbing test? Also, how does being able to climb a glass mountain make someone worthy of becoming the prince? Do good husbands generally excel at glass mountain climbing? Well, even if these very good points were brought up to the king, he had already spent all of his money on this dumb mountain, so he had to do something with it. He stuck to his guns. Because the princess loved the young man, she offered to climb the mountain behind him and try to catch him if he fell. Because the young man loved the princess, he agreed to do this stupid task so that he could marry her. So, the two young lovers set out together to climb this treacherous mountain. And they did pretty well, too, to be honest. According to the text, they made it halfway up the mountain, but at this point the princess slipped. Maybe she hadn't brought her good mountain climbing shoes. Maybe she had, but they were made to climb mountains of stone and dirt. Either way, after slipping, the princess slid far down the side of the mountain, and the text said that the glass mountain opened and shut her up inside it, and her betrothed could not see where she had gone, for the mountain closed immediately. Now, obviously upon seeing this, the young man was incredibly distraught, as was the king, even though the whole operation had been his idea. Upon the return of the young man, the king ordered the mountain to be broken apart in the general area where the princess had disappeared, hoping to get her back. Unfortunately, this was in vain, as they couldn't find where she'd fallen. Meanwhile, the princess fell deep into the mountain and into a cave. Couple things. Who decided to put a cave within the mountain? Was this a way to save glass? In that case, are there other parts of the mountain that are hollow? Does a glass cave have stalagmites and stalactites? Why do I care so much about this cave? Unfortunately, we don't have time for these answers because it's time to meet old Rink Rink. Faster than she could say, I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore, the princess landed in her glass cave and was immediately greeted by a crotchety old man with a very long gray beard. There are other important things to know about him, but we'll get there. From my understanding, the conversation went a little like this. Hi there, Missy. Welcome to my mountain. I'm old Rink Rank. Oh dear, where, where am I? How do I get out? Now listen here, bub. I'm the ruler of this place, and I'm going to make the rules, okay? Now, you got to be my servant. You're going to come to my house, and you're going to take these cockroaches I caught and make them into a stew, okay? And then you're going to take that stew and put some glass shards in it and give it to me so I can eat it right up. Missy, you're going to be my servant and do everything I tell you, see? And if you don't, ooh, boy, oh, oh, rank, rank, he's going to, he's going to cut you. Cut you up real good, cover you in beard dandruff, and throw you out of this mountain. So, faced with a choice between death and servitude, the princess reluctantly became old Rink Rink's slave. She cooked his dinner, cleaned his weird little cave, made his bed, and all other chores that one might have in the center of a glass mountain. While this happened, old Rink Rink would take a ladder out of his pocket and use it to climb to the top of the mountain. He'd leave and pull up the ladder behind him, and when he came home in the evening, he always brought a heap of gold and silver. Where was he getting this gold and silver? Honestly, no clue probably robbing all of the glass barons who didn't notice because they were already in control of all of the wealth on the planet. Well, this went on for several years, and the princess grew old and her hair turned gray. 
At this point, old Rink-Rink, ever the charmer, began to call her Mother Mansrot. Now, Mother Mansrot, if I told you once, I told you sixty-seventeen times. Oh, Rink-Rank don't like no apple slices in his badger leg stew. The recipe only calls for one badger leg and a bucket of water that's been used to wash a donkey. Don't need no apples, Mrs. Mansrot. This is how I've stayed so young. Hee-hee-hee! <laughs> there are parts of this that I'm exaggerating, but he really did call her Mother Mansrot. And with a name like Old Rink-Rank, what else would you expect? Anyhow... After this had gone on for several years, the Mansrot, formerly known as Princess, had finally had enough. One morning, after Old Rink-Rink had left and pulled up his ladder with him, the Princess very quickly did all of her daily chores and finished by locking the front door of the hut. She shut all of the windows except for one, which she left barely open to let in some light. When Old Rink-Rink returned home, he was bewildered to find the door locked, so he knocked on the door and shouted, "'Mother Mansrot, what's this door doing? Open the door for me!' In response, the princess calmly declined. At this point, old Rink-Rink began a brief tirade and complained about his aching legs. Here stand I, poor Rink-Rink, on my seventeen long shanks, on my weary, worn-out foot. Wash my dishes, Mother Mansrot. When I first read this, I was understandably confused by his weird little rhyme. What are long shanks? Well, apart from prison terminology for a makeshift knife, Shanks are slang for legs, and Longshanks is a nickname for someone with long legs. So, if Rink-Rink is out there standing, quote, on his 17 long shanks, does that mean that old Rink-Rink has 17 legs? He also only refers to one foot, so now I have this strange image of an old man with a long beard and 17 legs that all come together to conjoin and form one foot. Or maybe he has all 17 feet, but only one of them hurts. Another possible interpretation of this is that when standing on stilts, he is 17 feet tall, but I'm not exactly sure why he would feel the need to include this. Who knows? I'm doing to continue thinking of him with 17 legs, because that just tends to fit my mental image of him so far. I just don't understand how they could casually mention that he has 15 extra legs and then keep moving like that. Well, to his demand that she wash his dishes, Princess Mansrot replies simply, I've already washed your dishes. Old Rink-Rank repeats his rhyme a second time, this time commanding her to make his bed. To this, she again responds that it's done already. On the third time, Old Rink-Rank changes his command to open the door, Mother Mansrot. To this, the princess does nothing. Old Rink-Rank, despite his aching foot and his seventeen legs, uh, quickly circled his home and managed to find it the open window. Old Rink-Rank just gonna take a little peeky in here and see why Mother Mansrot ain't opening the door. So, old Rink-Rink did his best to poke his head through the window, but his beard was just too big for his head to fit through. In an effort to remedy this, Rink-Rink decided to climb through the window, beard first. He gathered up his long whiskers and slipped them through the window. Before he could manage to put his head inside, however, the princess pulled a cord that she'd previously tied to the window and slammed it shut, a gambit that gruffly grabbed a gob of the grizzled geezer's greasy gray goatee. Good golly. At this unexpected trap, old Rink-Rink began to holler and cry piteously. Oh, ah, jeepers, bub, I can't believe you'd go and do a thing like that. I don't want my beard stuck here in this hole in the wall. It hurts. Hurts, I tell you. Yowie-hoo! Get me out, get me out! Obviously, the princess did not let him out immediately, instead forcing him to give up his ladder in exchange for his freedom. Old Rink-Rink had no choice. He retrieved the ladder from his pocket and gave it to the princess. The princess tied a long ribbon to the window and used the ladder to climb to the top of the mountain. After pulling the ladder up after her, 
She pulled on the ribbon, opening the window and freeing Rink Rink. Personally, I would have just left him there, but that shows that Princess Mansrod is a better person than I. Well, upon escaping the mountain and the lair of old Rink Rink, the princess returned to her castle, where her father was overjoyed to see her alive. Even more surprising, her betrothed had remained single all of these years and was just as thrilled to see her. That is loyalty. Well, upon the princess telling them what happened, the king and all of his men went and dug up the glass mountain and found old Rink Rink underneath. I've done enough math today. I'm not going to bother trying to figure out how, what it would take to dig up a mountain. Uh, but I'm sure that we can all imagine that it wasn't easy or cheap. Upon finding the creepy old hermit living under the glass mountain, the king does the understandable thing and has him executed. He then confiscates all of the gold and silver that Rink Rink had taken. The princess and her beloved are married, and everyone, except old Rink Rink, lives happily ever after. Until the king's reckless spending plunged them into a depression, the peasants revolted and the nation was eventually brought completely to its knees and annexed by neighboring countries. Okay, I added that last part, but I could see it happening. It's interesting, but kidnapping is actually a fairly common theme within fairy tales. We talked about it a bit last week with Rumpelstiltskin and his multicultural buddies. Uh, in most stories, the hero or heroine is able to prevent him or herself from being captured in the first place, but in other capture stories, our heroes are generally saved by someone else. It's not often that you get a story like this one, where the protagonist is able to escape without outside help. Now, when it comes to the story of Old Rink Rink, there aren't actually many other versions of the tale specifically. But there are other stories of Glass Mountain, so we'll talk about those today in our historical context. Yes, uh, it's time for some historical context. Now, Old Rink Rink is a bit of an enigma, and not just as a character. He wasn't included in the Grimm Brothers collections until the sixth edition that they published, their second-to-last one. According to their notes, the story came from Frisian Archive von Ehrentraut, or the Frisian Archive of Ehrentraut. Frisian is a dialect, and as far as I can discern, Ehrentraut is the name of the author. I've never read the Archive of Ehrentraut, mostly because I don't speak French or Frisian, but it appears to be a journal of Frisian history and language written by Heinrich George Ehrentraut. Neat! Good for you, Heinrich. Keep that Frisian history fresh. As I mentioned before, the story of Old Rink Rink is fairly unique, but glass mountains are more common than you'd think. Most of the time, however, the stories have the princess as the prize at the top of the mountain, and the tale centers on the hero's trials and getting to her. They usually don't wind up with the princess being captured by a creepy old guy with 17 legs. For example, Szklanagura, a Polish fairy tale translated simply as The Glass Mountain, tells of a golden castle that sat atop the aforementioned glass mountain. Outside the castle is a golden apple tree that grows golden apples. Anyone who could climb the mountain and pick one of the apples would be able to enter the castle and reach the beautiful princess that lived inside, where she would be sitting in a silver room the successful climber would also have access to the vast riches within the Golden Castle. Pretty enticing, right? Well, a lot of other people thought so. Knights came from all over the world attempting to climb the Glass Mountain. Despite outfitting their horses with the latest in Glass Mountain climbing technology, none of the knights made it more than halfway up before slipping and breaking their arms, legs, and necks. The princess would watch out her window and hope beyond hope that one day someone would make it to the top and rescue her, but for almost seven years, no one could successfully scale the mountain. 
The tale doesn't mention who put her there in need of rescuing, but I have a sneaking suspicion that there was a certain king who thought it would be a good way of screening potential suitors. Just speculation, but it certainly adheres to the status quo. Well, three days before the princess would hit her seven-year anniversary of being stuck at the top of the glass mountain, a knight in full gold armor appeared and began climbing the mountain on horseback. He reached halfway, but instead of continuing, calmly turned his horse around and returned to the base. On the next day, he charged up the mountain, his horse stepping on the glass as if it were solid ground. He made it a quarter way up, halfway up, three quarters, almost to the top. The other knights, or the ones left alive anyway, were amazed. The princess was amazed. Could this be it? Could this be the man who would rescue her and win all of the glory? Apparently not! As the knight drew near to the summit and the golden apple tree, just as he was about to obtain the key to his success and fame, a giant eagle swooped down, clawing at his horse's eye. Now, most people who know me know that I have a deep and abiding hatred for horses. I'm not going to go into that now, but yeah. Anyhow, I'd like to share that I don't blame this horse for what happened next, as tempting as it is. The horse reacted the way that anyone would react in this situation. As the eagle attacked with its sharp talons, grazing the beast's eye, the startled horse rears back and slips, causing itself and the gilded rider to tumble all the way down the mountain. By the time they reached the bottom, they were nothing but bones and armor. Not sure how on earth that could have happened, but that is what the story says. The next day was the final day before the princess would reach seven years spent in her golden castle. The text actually kind of phrases this like some sort of deadline for reaching her, but it doesn't specify this anywhere, so I think they're just trying to really highlight how long the princess was up there. She was probably getting sick of apples. Well, on the eve of the close of seven years, a plucky little fella arrived to test his luck on the glass mountain. He wasn't a knight, he had no armor and no horse, but he'd heard the tales of the princess from his parents and was convinced that he was the one destined to save her. He had gone hunting and slain a lynx before arriving at the mountain, and had attached its sharp claws to his hands and feet to help him climb without slipping. Armed with nothing but a small knife, the lynx paws, and a ridiculously optimistic attitude, he began his climb. Now, the text doesn't mention anyone trying to climb the glass mountain without a horse prior to the moment, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. I feel like that is the obvious answer here. Or, if you absolutely must ride something, ride a mountain goat. Literally built to climb mountains. Come on, folks, it ain't rocket surgery. The one benefit provided by the horses was speed, something that our wannabe Wolverine was lacking. As the sun began to set, he had used most of his strength and had gone only halfway up the mountain. He was exhausted, and he was insanely thirsty. A little storm cloud passed overhead, and he begged for just a drop of rain to fall to his parched lips, but the cloud paid him no mind, because, you know, it's a cloud. His feet had been torn up and were bleeding, and he was climbing almost exclusively with his hands at this point, aided by the lynx claws. As the night fell, he looked up to see if he could see the top of the mountain yet. Nope. Then he glanced down and saw a chasm with the bodies of previous knights and their horses. Gross. Completely out of energy, our pal clung to the mountain in sheer desperation, unable to move either way. Disheartened, he resigned to wait for death, and his exhaustion put him to sleep. His claws, however, were dug deep into the mountain to keep him stuck to the side without falling. As the young man hung sleeping on the mountain, the giant eagle emerged and began to circle the mountain, searching for any intruders. As we are well aware, there was an intruder on the mountain this evening. The giant bird, easily spotting the youth, swooped down for an easy dinner. Luckily, the boy had awoken and had seen the eagle. 
a plan began to form in his mind. He continued to pretend to be asleep, as the eagle sunk its talons painfully into his shoulders and began to carry him off. He didn't make a sound, and instead seized on the eagle's legs with his lynx paw mittens. Surprised, the eagle flew, frightened, up to the castle and began circling the tower. The boy waited patiently until he was above the golden apple tree, then drew his small knife and cut off the feet of the eagle, dropping himself into the tree below. Just because I want to cover all of my bases, I'd like to point out that I don't advocate for this behavior. Old Rank Rank, however, is all about air travel by Giant Eagle. Mm, boy, it's me, old Rank Rank, back from the dead. Mm, yeah, I'm gonna tell you how to catch a ride on one of them flying eagle monster things. First, get a bunch of hair. Sneak into all the barber shops and get all the hair you can get off the ground. And then roll yourself in honey and stick all that hair all over you. Mm, you're going to look like a big tasty rodent. And you can trick that bird into coming down to get you. You're going to play dead with all that yummy hair on you. And then that bird will snatch you right up. And that's when you say, surprise, Junebug. And you grab right on with your long fingers and all 17 of your legs. You hold on there until you get where you're going. And then you'll just say, sayonara, and you'll cut off that big bad bird's legs. Keep them legs, bub, because you can munch on them as you go on your merry way. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, that's old Rink Rink's take, but, again, I don't recommend it. Miraculously, the young man was able to land in the tree without breaking any bones. He carefully removed the talons from his shoulders, revealing some bleeding wounds, which healed immediately when he placed some peels from the golden apples on them. Huh. Okay, not sure how he knew to do that, but who am I to judge a good apple ex machina? After healing himself, he gathered up several golden apples and stuffed them into his pockets before marching to the golden castle. But his trials weren't over yet. As he approached, he saw an enormous dragon guarding the door of the castle. It lifted its head and let out a great roar, belching superheated flame through the night sky. The spines on its back stood up as it stretched its great wings wide in a show of proud intimidation. The dragon's fangs gleamed in the moonlight, razor-sharp and dangerous. So the young man threw one apple at it, and it vanished. Yeah, uh, the big bad of this story was the dumb eagle, not the super-awesome dragon. Boo! I changed my mind. I'm mad at the apple ex machina now. Well, regardless of how I feel about it, the young man defeated the fearsome dragon with his apple and walked into the castle, where he found the princess. As you may have guessed, they fell in love and were married, and the young man became the king, ruling in the golden castle above the glass mountain. Hilariously, according to the text, they couldn't actually get down from the mountain, but I guess they were okay with that. I just don't know what the heck they were going to do with all of that wealth. Anyway, one day while they were strolling through the palace as a couple, the young king happened to glance down at the base of the mountain and see a great commotion. Surprised at this, he blew a silver whistle and summoned his magical talking swallow friend. Oh, yeah, he, uh, he has one of those now? To go and to find out what was going on. The swallow flew down and surveyed the area, returning to inform the king of a strange phenomenon. Per the text, the swallow told him that, quote, The blood of the eagle has restored all the people below to life. All those who have perished on this mountain are awakening up today, as it were from a sleep, and are mounting their horses, and the whole population are gazing on this unheard-of wonder with joy and amazement. Somebody had gone and found the eagle's legless body after it died, and thought, what the heck, we'll sprinkle its blood on the dead knights around the mountain and see what happens. Crazier things have happened, I suppose. And that's the story of the Glass Mountain, according to Poland. 
In Norway, the tale actually has some strong similarities to the story of Ashen Puttel, or Cinderella as it's more widely known, but I'm going to save that story for another episode, as its protagonist actually seems to have his own series of tales. He's like a 17th century comic book hero. He even has a super name, Ashlad. He fights trolls and steals things from trolls and has eating contests with trolls and some other stories that don't have trolls in them. When it comes to stories about glass mountains, it's hard to pinpoint exactly where they come from. Some have speculated they come from India, some say Egypt, and still others contend that they are based on the stories of Brunhild, the Valkyrie from Norse legend. Who's to say? Researching stories is not an exact science, because not everyone who told stories bothered to write them down, and sometimes the ones that were written down were lost, mistranslated, destroyed, or rewritten to fit a new narrative. Somehow, Old Rink Rink is one of the lucky few who made it to us, so we can regale our children with the story of the 17-legged psychopath. Oh, joy of joys. So, the real question is, what did we learn today? The Moral of the Story First things first, don't build a glass mountain. Clearly, they really don't do anything but cause trouble, and they're ridiculously expensive. Not worth it. Might look nice, but that's about it. Secondly, an apple a day keeps the dragons away. Keep some on you in case of attack. Maybe it's something about roughage or fiber. I don't know. They can't digest apples. They're scared of them. For a more applicable moral for our day, we'll leave you with the fact that there's more than one way to solve a problem. All those knights tried charging up the mountain with their horses and failed. But our plucky little adventuring buddy used his brains over brawn and fashioned some climbing claws to help him. It took him longer, and it was certainly exhausting, but he ultimately succeeded where others had failed. Additionally, see if your obstacles can work for you. Homeboy made the eagle do half of his work for him, even though it had been a detriment to the others. An actual moral on this podcast? Preposterous. Last one I'll leave you with. Just please let your daughters date who they want to date. It's just not worth the trouble to set up these elaborate trials for princes. If you're concerned about who she's dating, talk to her about it. Otherwise, she might end up kidnapped, cooking cockroach stew until she's old and gray and goes by the name Mother Mansrot. Before I say sayonara for now, I'd just like to thank you all again for your support and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and leave a review on whatever platform you're using to listen. You can also follow at Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, where I'll try my best to make regular posts. And if you have any thoughts or insights to share, hit me up at funklorepodcast at gmail.com. If you want me to read your email in an episode, let me know, and tell me if I'm allowed to use your name. Alrighty, I think that's that. Bit of a shorter one today. Have an extra fun week, my friends, and throughout your own adventures, do your best to stay funky fresh. Bye! Funklore was created, written, and hosted by Justin Bauk, with special thanks to Joshua Andrus for creating the music beds and album art. Sources for this episode are listed in the episode description. Distributed by Anchor. Honestly, my math could be way off. Like, way, way off. But it kind of depends on the king's definition of mountain. Maybe it was just a glorified hill. But hey, if he's going to call it a mountain, he's going to get a mountain. And a bill for $1.4 quadrillion. So don't even at me, King Wasteful.